This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 59, a discussion about what is new in ANSYS MAPDL 2020 R1, and a look at the ANSYS world. Welcome to our podcast and what we hope you will find to be a bubble of normalcy in this surreal sea of disruption that's around us uh, as we all deal with this coronavirus pandemic. Um, my name is Eric Miller and I'm one of the owners at PADT, longtime ANSYS user and usual host for this podcast. And I am broadcasting, or recording actually, from my upgraded home office. Um, went ahead, I'm going to be here a while. We're well, I'll talk a little bit about this, but we're pretty much working from home now. So I upgraded my desk chair, got some monitors set up a little bit more conveniently, and uh, and just kind of rearranged some things to give me a little bit more room because I'm going to be here, you know, a lot. <laughs> um, first and foremost, we hope that you are all very safe and that you're taking care of yourselves and your families. That's our number one priority. Um, as I mentioned, PADT is about, we're about 80% of our employees are working from home. Uh, we do have a manufacturing group for 3D printing. So they're coming in at uh, different times to take care of the machines and get parts made, uh, kind of keep that part of the business running. Uh, also fulfilling orders for 3D printing material, et cetera. Um, but the, the vast majority of us are working from home. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the big thing that we found is that, you know, we have the setup already because most of our engineers, especially our simulation engineers, work from home on a regular basis. You know, whether that's at night or they do it during the day, um, you know, when they when you need to be home with the family or whatever the reasons are. So and we, we have a f more than a few employees who always work from home. Uh, they don't live in near one of our offices, so they, they work from their home office. Um as soon as this looked like it was getting pretty bad, we went ahead and tested everything out, made sure we could make this happen, made lists of who needed what in order to be productive at home. And then pretty much on Friday, we we moved everyone home. We're lucky here in Arizona. There hasn't been as much spread as other parts of the country. Uh, it is coming. It will come. Um, so we were able to kind of get ahead of the curve and get everybody safe. That's, that's true of uh, almost all of our employees uh, across the country. Um, they live in places that haven't been as heavily impacted, except for our employees in California. So our goal is to make sure everybody stays safe. That's the big thing. Um, we're open for business. Uh, ANSYS sales and support and training are going strong. If anything, they're more productive than they've been um, in the past. We have less meetings, so maybe they're getting more done. So um, if you do provide, uh, if we do provide you with technical support, we'll probably be using email a little bit more um, than the phone because uh, we can't get our phones at home. So we're forwarding to cell phones. It's complicated, but just use email. It's much easier. And then we can call you back or uh, use Teams. Uh, and and by the way, I think we mentioned on the podcast that we made a major migration to Office 365 in January. It was a little painful. We had a lot of email issues uh, transitioning, uh, but it has worked beautifully since then. And I don't know what we would be doing if we had not made that transition. Uh, it sure makes our life a lot easier. So one of the things I'd like to ask is for you to take our poll about how you and your company are dealing with the coronavirus and how you're getting your ANSYS simulation done. It's at www.padtinc.com slash ANSYS WFH. So that's A-N-S-Y-S W-F-H, all one word, no spaces. PDTinc.com slash ANSYS WFH for work for a home. Um, 
it's a little distraction in your day and a way to see uh, what everybody else is doing. Uh, and we're going to put it up there for two weeks. And at the end, um, we will go ahead and share the results to everybody. And at the end of the survey, we're going to ask you if you want to, to um, participate in a, maybe a podcast. I'd like to do a podcast to just talk with folks about how they're working from home, kind of share their experience. Um, and if you'd like to volunteer for that, just go ahead and click yes on that uh, question and then give your email address and we would love to have you on. So um, we'll share the results though from the survey uh, on the episode that comes out right after April. I think it's uh, April 3rd is when we close down the survey. So the 6th is when we'll broadcast, uh, send it out there. So today's interview, uh, really a discussion, is a, a look at uh, our favorite part of ANSYS, uh, the ANSYS MAPDL solver, um, it, or like those of us who've been using the code for a long time, call it ANSYS. This was the uh, the piece. If you don't, if you're not aware, what we now call MAPDL was the original code that John Swanson wrote that grew into the company, the one point whatever billion dollar company that ANSYS is today, and uh, it's it started it all. But I I get distracted. I like talking about that. <laughs> Let's see what we found of interest in ANSYS MAPDL 2020 R1. I want to welcome. Uh, some of our engineers from PADT for a discussion about what is new at a, in another portion of ANSYS um, 2020 R1. I'm really struggling with the fact that it's 20, 2020. <laughs> um, we're going to talk about the uh, mechanical APDL elements, contacts, and solver updates. And with me today are Ted, Alex, and Joe. So Ted, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Ted Harris. I head up our simulation support group here at PADT, longtime ANSYS user. Alex? Hi, um, I'm Alex Grishin. I've been here at PADT for 21 years. Uh, I'm in the uh, engineering services department. I'm an analyst. I perform engineering service, I mean, simulation services for mm -hmm. PADT uh, primarily, but I also help with tech support and training. And Joe? And I'm Joe Woodward, senior mechanical engineer and lead trainer, and I help out with tech support and sometimes services. So we're kind of in a transition right now uh, with the pandemic going on. About uh, Ted and I are officially working from home, and uh, Joe and Alex are on their way. Uh, so next time we talk, I think uh, uh, we'll all be calling in from home. But for recording the podcast, it really doesn't matter because um, we usually do it from our desk these days anyway. So um, like I said in the intro, we're talking about um, a release 2020 R1. And kind of the core of the program that uh, all four of us used to live in all the time and now is sometimes just the solver um, behind Mechanical. And that's uh, what used to be the original ANSYS product that John Swanson wrote, which we now call Mechanical APDL. And elements, context, and uh, what's new in the solver. And let's just go ahead and start with the elements. Um, not not a huge number of new or different things and kind of esoteric. Um, anybody want to discuss? Um, my, my favorite is the, uh, just because it's cool, I haven't had a chance to look at it, is the cables, the cable 280. Um, one of you said that you had played with that. Yeah, that's that's me. This is Alex, mm -hmm. and and the cable 280s I can report uh, do work very very well. Uh, so one of the issues in the past with those was that um, you can have cable elements that go into tension and compression. Well, that is to say, they can be tension only, but go into a slack condition. Um, and when they go into that slack condition, condition. Um, ANSYS often fails. It depends on the refinement of those elements and how many iterations you have. And in fact, you, 
in the past, you would have it was not uncommon to have to crank up the number of the maximum number of iterations to to over five hundred or even a thousand to get those wow. to solve, depending on the mesh refinement. Well, this element almost completely solves that problem. Um, it now solves really fast and really well um, without having to do that, without having to play those kinds of uh, games on setting the max iteration count. Um, so yeah, I can report that those uh, it's it's a really good improvement in uh, in that technology cable modeling. Mm-hmm. And some of the exa- yeah, some of the examples they show are, um, you know, a cable going around a pulley um, and then making strands, so like winding cables around each other. So it's pretty cool stuff um, if you're dealing with cables. Definitely something we used to just kind of avoid in the past, I think. Um, yeah, and it you know it, it's kind of a, a problem in in a lot of ist- industries. So, for mm-hmm. example, I'm, th- I'm thinking in particular of like construction people that build right. and design cranes and things like that that have a lot of um, uh, you know tension uh, uh, long thin members in tension that uh, don't really supply a lot of stiffness, but definitely um, uh, transmit load. And so in those situations, you need an element like this, especially when they go when they have uh, nonlinear deflection, which a lot of these guys do. When you have large nonlinear deflections, you need to be able to account for large changes in orientation with those members. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a follower load won't quite do it um, because that only allows you to sort of point to one point in space. Um, so you have to use something like this. And so this is a really uh, a, a great improvement for, let's say, that industry because it it, it works really well. Good, 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 excellent. Um, anybody else want to talk about uh, any of the other uh, cool things that are in the Element library? Uh, well, it looks like they're they're adding to the uh, capabilities for the inverse analysis. Yeah. With the solid 186, 187s, and now the solid 185s, um, I guess now they're they're supporting large deformation with incompressibility. So mm-hmm. the example they show is a, a an artery. Mm-hmm. They've scanned it, scanned an artery, and you get the scan of what the deformed shape is because of the blood pressure. So you can go back in and put in the pressure on the internal faces, and then do the inverse analysis to find out what the artery would look like without the pressure. So Which is pretty you, cool. You, yeah, usually we think of inverse analysis as kind of hot to cold turbo machinery mm-hmm. type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that was a new one that I hadn't thought of. Yeah, it, it looks like it's calculating the diameters as well. So, um, it, you know, it's... it's um, pretty complicated geometry when you get into these blood vessels and things and um it's, it's uh complicated math and i think something that we would have had to have written a lot of scripts to do in the past for sure right well and i think it accounts for the for the wall thickness change mm-hmm. as as it's stretching and on the inverse analysis as it's going back to non-stretched it thickens up good um, the other thing is some, uh, work on the 2d thermal elements. Um, so that's something yeah. that I, yeah, we, we right. don't use that too often. I think Ted, you, you may have used those more than most of us, right? Yeah. There are two new 2d thermal element types, mm-hmm. plane 292 and 293. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is 292 is the, uh, 
linear four node option and 293 adds the mid side nodes. So mm-hmm. what these do is they, uh, I won't say replace, but they serve like the old plane 55 and plane 77, um, but bring those up to modern uh, technology like the 180 series of structural element types. So they allow for uh, more capability and material property definition. Um, they support uh, user programmable features, which the old ones. Oh, don't. that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, just more capable, more modern, more capable. Um, yeah, I, it's, um, it's interesting that there's still some elements out there that uh, that are getting updated that have been around for a while, but the, the older elements are still have a little bit more capability, and they're still kind of moving stuff over. Um, there's a lot in there. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot in there. Um, and you mentioned the user materials. Um, it looks like they've made some more enhancements um, to that as well um, in in the two two x coupled field elements. Yeah, you should, in the past, uh, you weren't able to customize those, so now mm-hmm. you can't. Mm-hmm. So people that aren't familiar with it, the, the, the coupled field analysis are more than just the displacement degree of freedoms, right? They can, they can do other, um, other degrees of freedom, like voltage or thermal or, um, help me out here, what are the other ones I'm drawing oh, a blank? Electrostatic. Uh, electrostatic, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and... Uh, the, uh, and one solve, right? It's one matrix. It's not an iterative yeah. thing where I solve and yeah, converge, solve and converge. Yeah. Turn on the degrees of freedom you want to use, mm-hmm. the element mm-hmm. options. Yeah. So um, really cool capability. But if you're going to do some weird stuff, um, and maybe you're using another code whose name I'm not going to mention that, that <laughs> has a much more open capability to write your own element equations. Um, and, and I think this will help with some, some customers that may have one or two copies of that laying around so they can do these sort of user routines uh, for the multi-physics uh, coupled elements. It's kind of nice. So Portran is alive and well. Uh, anything else in... The uh, the world of elements. Before we move on to uh, contact, well, one thing that I think they, I thought they'd released it already, but um, mm-hmm. maybe they're adding to it is just mm-hmm. the ability to to put pressure loads on uh, solid and two D uh, or solid and, and shell elements mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, without the need for the surface effect elements, so right. You can, you can apply your pressures and things directly to, to the elements, um, to the solids. Yeah. So if, if people are mechanical users, they're probably a lot of that happens under the hood, right? When you when you apply a pressure to something, it actually kind of paves the surface where you applied the pressure with what what I used to call dummy elements. They're they're surface effect elements. They they don't contribute to the the stiffness matrix, right? They're they're just a place to put loads on and calculate what the load goes to to the nodes that are shared on right. those surface elements. And uh, this kind of gets away from having to do that. You can just apply them directly to the faces. Yeah, anytime you add a non-normal pressure mm-hmm. uh, or a tapered load, mm-hmm. uh, tangential loads, things like that, you always had to have the surface effect elements. Yeah. So it's a little bit simpler. I don't have to worry about that. Right. It's kind of nice. Exactly. Uh, Oh, good. Um, okay, let's move on to contact. 
So contact, of course, is very, very important in the world of uh, simulation as we do more and more assemblies. And, uh, you know, some, some improvements there. Again, you know, adding more options and more capabilities. Um, even and and they include this in contact. Uh, the bolt pretension is is another thing that's changed. Does anybody have a chance to look in more detail at the the new capabilities in bolt pretension? Yeah, it, it, they're adding in, uh, in. In the past, it was just constraint equations that would pull the bolt through each other. But mm -hmm. if if it if your joint rotated, then those constraint equations were written in the wrong uh, directions. Gotcha. So you're your bolts trying to pull sideways instead of axially. Yeah. yeah. So that's been a limitation so now, for a long, long time. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Not valid so, in large deformation. In, okay. If you had any large deformation, my constraint equations were written in, in the, the original coordinate system. And then if I rotate in that coordinate system, they're no longer valid. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. So how did they solve that? Well, it looks like now that it can put in an MPC 184 mm -hmm. joint. Okay. Okay. That will rewrite those internal equations um, for large deformation. Because the that element, that MPC-184 element, is large deflection and rotates. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So that they, they've added that in to be able to account for large deformation. So I assume that's going to get put into mechanical pretty quickly once it's adopted yeah. here. Good, good point. It's probably this is probably the first step getting it to work in the MAPDL, the solver side, um, and then once it's working there, expose it in the interface. Yeah. So you could, you could, if you wanted to do it in mechanical, you could write an APDL script probably, right, to put these in there. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You just have to put in a snippet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So it might be as simple as just changing an element type. <laughs> maybe, maybe, actually, yeah. Something, something we'll have to play with when we get time, um, that, which is not going to happen. I think we're so busy right now. Um, the, In fact, I want to thank you guys for taking time to, to talk because uh, I know that the I'm, I'm watching the number of support requests coming in. Even though a lot of our customers are moving home, the number of support requests is not going down. Mm -hmm. So, um if anything, they're going up. <laughs> I've noticed a lot of them have, have turned to VPN connections and <laughs> yes, exactly. those types of things. Uh, Ahmed, who who handles a lot of our uh, network uh, related, you know, IT related questions around licensing and such, uh, I know that he's been a very busy busy person, as as have all of you on that. Um, there, there's a couple other things like some more sophisticated. Um, um, I don't know what you want to call them. Algorithms for convergence. Um, mm -hmm. Like there's there's this, uh, I like saying it, exponential pressure penetration relationship um, for contact elements. Um, and it supposedly produces a smoother uh, response. If, if you remember, the original contact elements were pretty straightforward, right? If you, you assigned a stiffness, basically a spring, and if one node penetrated the surface of the of the other side, it would just calculate the displacement and then times that times the spring stiffness and apply that as a restoring force. So this looks like a much more um, uh, general or a, a subtle way of doing that. So it doesn't go back and forth because of the big change. Yeah, it's intended to help with assemblies where, you know, contact has been difficult to converge previously where maybe there's just uh you know slight forces causing uh contact to occur and mm -hmm. there's you know 
I don't know if bouncing around is the right term, but <laughs> um, self-contacting problems where you know, it just might be some difficulty with the traditional uh, contact stiffness factor um, right. trying to get it to converge. So this technique should help us with difficult to converge contact problems like that. Kind of as a, an alternative to the Lagrange method, maybe. Yeah. Or is that a different, um, different approach probably? Well, the Lagrange method is using basically pressure degrees of freedom, mm -hmm. but, um, by default, I think most of the time we're using the spring stiffness method first and then mm -hmm. the augmented Lagrange to fine tune okay. it. Okay. Cool. So it'll be interesting to see over time if this helps when we get some, I mean, we do get quite a few convergence questions for tech support. So it'll be nice to see if we have people turn this on and tweak these parameters so they can get faster convergence. Yeah. Good, good, good. Um, anything else anybody want to talk about? Um, just a lot of little changes in convergence and such. That was a new command, um, which is pretty useful, SF control that allows mm -hmm. you to um, uh, change the, give much more greater control over the direction of tractions on, you know, a, uh, oh. on a surface. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty handy. You can do it in an element reference, element face reference, or mm -hmm. by a local coordinate system reference if you want. Um, pretty, it's, it's uh, pretty flexible. Mm -hmm. um, whereas it was, it, it's always been a little difficult to do that in the past. I've had, had to write scripts before to okay. uh, to go element by element <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. define, right. to define tractions, and mm -hmm. and it it helps with that. Good. Oh yeah, that's part that's part of applying pressures to the solid elements. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, that's yeah, I missed that when they they added that control in there to to account for the fact that they're not using the surface effect elements. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. That is good. I think, I think if you're not a power user of APDL, a lot of the, what we're talking about may be um, kind of scratching your head. So that's a great, great example of where you should call your support provider who is hopefully PADT and we can help explain some of these things because, uh, it is it is getting down into the the weeds inside the code, <laughs> right? A lot a lot of this once it goes into mechanical, you probably won't even see it. Right, right. You know. There there may be like a a slider or something in mechanical, and what what it's really doing behind the scene is saying use this method or use that method or apply these parameters. Right. Um, An example of that would be the the use of MPCA 184s for uh, mm -hmm. bolt pretension. Now, right? right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that once it gets adopted in Workbench, it will be completely transparent. You, right. you, might, you won't even know it. You right. won't even see it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't. Yeah, if you don't you turn the, the nonlinear yeah. geometry on, it'll it'll go mm -hmm. and switch them to 184s, mm -hmm. and you won't yep. even know it. Yeah, yep. exactly. It, it, it knows. So, so you're getting a, if you're if you're just a mechanical user and don't get into the weeds. You, hopefully, this gives you a little picture of what's going on under the hood. That there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, anything else on contact before we talk about speeding up the solvers? Mm. No. Well, there's the fluid pressure penetration, which okay. I mean that capability is not new. What is new is the ability for it to handle tangential. Uh, load coming in instead of normal pressure 
just normal pressure. So that yep. expands the capability of having a, a seal with a pressure inside and trying to determine if that seal is going to hold or if it's going to come loose mm -hmm. and the fluid mm -hmm. is going to escape. And I think as that fluid's escaping, that's where your tangential forces come in. Right. So that's why when once, this, once the seal opens, yeah. then yeah, mm -hmm. once it's flowing, it's pulling on the seal. Drag across the seal. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, this comes up a little bit. And, and I'm, of course, since I've had my, my, my uh, uh, leadership lobotomy, I like to call it, I don't get involved in doing these models anymore. But when I'm sitting in meetings talking with new, new prospective consulting customers, they often want to model these things as full CFD. And that's, that's really not necessary, right? We've got mm -hmm. these capabilities to approximate it with these kind of fluid penetration uh, elements. Yep. Um, okay, let's let's move on to solvers. And it's if you've listened to these podcasts before or gone to our webinars, we always kind of talk about the same thing. Um, it's faster, it uses less resources, and uh, file sizes go down. So I don't know if you, anybody wants to give me details on any of those things, but that's pretty much it this time, right? The same same. Yeah, always. yeah. What well, Eric said. Good numbers. Yeah, good numbers <laughs> though, right? I mean, right. Um, yeah, it's a little hard to show on. Uh... Uh, yeah. on the podcast but they mm -hmm. have quite a few charts on here on uh how much things have sped up and uh with their different models and different solution types and one of the reasons why i'm kind of excited about it is um we're running more and more in the cloud you know we just had our own hardware um I wasn't paying for the memory. <laughs> I mean, I paid for it once, but I, you know, used it over a very long period of time. Now, now I've got to spin up a box, right? How much RAM do I need for that box? Um, let's say I'm going to run on 256 cores. Uh, I'm looking at one particular case uh, where where they're they're seeing an almost, uh, I think it's 35% drop in the amount of RAM needed at 2020 R1 versus 2019 R1. So over a year, um, it, it looks almost. Maybe even more than than thirty five percent, almost forty percent, um, and that could be a big dollar difference um, in in the amount of uh, RAM that I'm paying for on that. Either buying a machine, or in in our case where we're using doing these large problems on the cloud, not having to buy as pay for as much per CPU cycle for the RAM. Pretty. Yeah, that's cool. a really good point. Yeah, that's like I said, the, with my leadership lobotomy, all I care about is how much does it cost? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I, I noticed in the release notes, you know, now we have many, many people working from home. And mm -hmm. yeah. I know a lot of them are able to VPN into their normal uh, workstation or uh, server or perhaps even cluster environment. But uh, for those stuck on a laptop, um, mm -hmm. There has been an enhancement to the sparse solver. So when running an out-of-core memory mode on Windows, the sparse solver is significantly faster uh, for many simulations. So what that means is, you know, ideally we want to solve in-core, um, mm -hmm. but depending on how much RAM we've got and the size of the model we have, we may not be able to do that. So for many, many years, you could run out-of-core, but you paid a substantial mm -hmm. penalty in solution time so it's really good to see and you know, it's very timely to see that they have uh enhanced it to be significantly faster at least for uh some some simulations if not many that's a really good point 
you know, people may not have access to um, the compute horsepower they had in the past because they're they're working on their laptop and. Um, yeah, the solution used to be right. It's okay. Well, I'm running out of core. I'm just going to set it up in the corner and let it, you know, heat up my room for two days. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice improvement. Cool. Um, the other thing was, um, just the speed up. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's anything significant other than they got in there and tweaked some stuff, um, and getting some big speed ups depends on the the problem and the number of cores, et cetera, but some nice, nice improvements. Don't know if there's anything worth they, they, There's not a lot of details of what they tweaked, but just improved sparse solver performance. Right. Right. Yeah. They don't really give, uh, give details mm -hmm. on what they're doing, but they, <laughs> they don't want to give away the secrets, <laughs> just the, the outcome. I think in this case, it's uh, IO uh, changes on windows. So, um, using some of the, uh, the enhanced, um, capabilities within, uh, you know, Microsoft is, is, is doing things, I guess, every once in a while. So calling those subroutines to do IO, maybe making a difference there. So, um, definitely, definitely try it out. Um, um, even, even one of the examples they give is a 9 million degree of freedom, sparse, solve out of core memory node um and by, by tweaking the io functions using these windows io functions it looks like on two cores it's it's almost twice as fast um yeah 1.9 1.8 times faster 1.9 times faster um and then um if you go to uh 12 cores you're not getting as big of a benefit um but you're still still uh speeding up uh 1.35 times so it's pretty pretty cool. More value for you. People are always asking, why am I paying for techs? That's one of the things you're paying for. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of development going in yeah. in a lot of yeah. areas. They're they're not leaving, not leaving it static. Um, anybody want to talk about the smaller? I I think one of you when we were talking beforehand said that this was kind of the biggest thing in this section is the fact that the files are smaller, the database files are smaller. Oh, I think so. I think that's yeah. that's big. It's big. You know, it's kind of buried. They, yeah. would, they would lead with that, but no. <laughs> yeah, and for both RST and DB files, right? Uh, if if anyone is familiar with uh, in in the past, you know, trying to compress those files, well, they just wouldn't compress any further if you mm -hmm. used the traditional, um, you know, Windows-based zip or seven zip or mm -hmm. something like that. The whatever compression algorithms they use just wouldn't wouldn't compress them any further. Right, so the, I, I think the, uh, the 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 line that was always given was, well, they're already compressed, right? Okay, well, right. apparently there's a new algorithm they're using. What is it called? Uh, sparsification. Yeah, <laughs> sparsify. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So they're using something, something new um, to compress these guys to, you know, again, a factor of what, thirty-five, forty percent. Um, yeah. Fact, it looks like it's, it's, from, it's huge. Looks like it's from twenty to ninety, depending on yeah, 90%, depending on the model that they're looking at. That's so, true. Yeah, that's right. That's some right. of the models are significant. It's quite a bit uh, spread. Yeah, average is thirty-five. So yeah. again, like Ted was mentioning, with a lot of us moving to work from home, you may be say solving on your on a desktop system that's sitting alone in your corporate headquarters right um in in the cubicle all by itself um and you want to pre and post process uh, or pro post process on your laptop back at home 
Um, so, you know, bringing that file back and forth, or maybe you're solving at home and you want to store the files when you're done back on your corporate server. Bandwidth is, you know, we don't want to slow down streaming because that's what we're doing when we're not working now. Um, so um, <laughs> compress these files. Um, so, so what we're talking about is not... Um, um, uh, changing what's being written to the file. It's just a, a much better compression algorithm. And you do it. You have it's it's on by default, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a command called fcomp that allows you to either turn it off or change mm -hmm. to a different format or different compression level. Right. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm I'm curious if so. You would want to turn it off if you've got. Why would you want to turn it off? Let's say some. Well, it takes longer. I think that's the only takes, reason. Oh, okay. The okay. only reason is it does take a little bit longer now. And in fact, there is a uh, there is a level right on the sparse. Uh, so there is a two two arguments to the fcomp command, right? There's a level argument. Um, that's the sparse argument, and if if it's uh, def the default, you use the sparsification scheme mm -hmm. to uh, compress the file, and that takes a certain amount of time. But if you switch it to level zero, then nothing happens, and okay. it's the same thing as it always was. But you can also use a number from one to five, and what it'll do ah. is it'll create a ziblot-based compression that occurs at level number n from one to five. And so, you know, it's like choose your level of compression sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, the highest level will take the longest, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one of those options will actually compress it even farther than the default. Wow. Okay. So play with that. I mean, that's probably one of those things where if you're running locally and you got plenty of disk space, go for the performance. You know, yeah. save the database files as fast as you can. But if you uh, are moving files around or IT is still getting mad at you for the amount of disk space you're using, um, then uh, then try this out, and it can make a big difference. Um, I know we've been in crunch times where it's like. I, I, I'm out of disk space, and this I got to get this model done. And you're deleting stuff you probably don't want to be deleting. So this this could over time could free up a lot of space. Oh yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else on that before we um, talk about this? This uh, I, for some reason it makes me think of some British movie, Enlad. Uh, <laughs> So, so who who wants to explain what NLAD is? Because I always get tongue tied when I say it, and uh, why we care. Uh, okay, I'll take a stab at it. So it okay. stands for nonlinear adaptive meshing, mm -hmm. and you use it in situations where you have, um, well, the iconic situation would be uh, if you have some very soft materials with an exotic um, nonlinear behavior, like let's say hyperelasticity or something like that. Okay where you have two pieces of rubber that are folding upon one another. Well, that wreaks havoc on the nodes and elements underneath the mesh. Um, and so uh, what what NL, what nonlinear adaptive meshing does is it goes through and it starts remeshing as it solves in order to uh, alleviate some of those problems. Like if, a, if an element's starting to get um, too slender or skewed mm -hmm. or compressed, it will remesh that element. So, And you can do so based on different criteria. Like there's an energy criteria. Um, there's just a uh, – uh, there's different – there's a quality criterion um, that you can use to, to – 
to remesh. And uh, so there have been some updates in 2020 uh, to that. So in the past, um, in fact, they've been making steady improvements to this with almost every release or at least every other mm-hmm. release, major release. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, one of the big deals at 2020 R1 is to allow the use of this technique with without having nonlinear ge- geometry effects on. So you can have ah. it... You can do it, for example, to just a model that has, let's say, a bilinear isotropic hardening model. Um, and it's it's nice because it will, even though it doesn't, it may not save you a lot of time or headache um, in terms of convergence and all that. It, what it will do is it will just, it will produce a better result up front um, one right. time. It'll give you a good solid result without having to iteratively refine your mesh right so that's so that would be basically refining the mesh for you yeah right while you're solving yeah right during during the solve right um is is this available in mechanical yet well yeah. nonlinear adaptive region is um mm-hmm. not sure about this this particular this capability okay. but so you, like you might you have to snippet to it in yeah snippet it in if right. you have to so it's kind of like we were talking about with contact. If if your model's just kind of blowing up on you for various reasons, and, and in this case, it's that your your elements are getting funky and distorted um, and becoming unstable. This is this is definitely something to take a look at. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I, and, and in some ways, I think we're making it too easy. People need to suffer more. Well, you know, and it, it, it it's um it's it's a it's a very uh, sophisticated technology, I guess we should say, right? Because mm-hmm. under the hood, it, yeah, yeah. A, a user might naively think, well, duh, you know, this is, of course, you want to do this when you know mm-hmm. when you have convergence problems. But the problem is that anytime you talk about refining a mesh or changing a mesh in any way, you're talking about changing the stiffness matrix, right? And and you know, you have to be really, really careful if you're going to do that during a solve, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you know some really, really sophisticated algorithms are going on underneath the hood to make that work in a robust way. And that's one reason too, I think, why the improvements have been incremental. Right. It's not yeah, true. I think another another point is you typically don't want to do this on the entire mesh. Yeah. If you're in a kind of large model, um, you may find that it will, you know, if you didn't have some controls on it, it mm-hmm. can easily make a mesh that's so big you can't solve it. So you need a way to control it where it's going to occur. And because of that, the program needs to be able to map uh, you know, the state of the solution when it stops to remesh whatever portion mm-hmm. you want it to, to do, and you have control over that, um, before it uh, continues to solve with that localized finer mesh. So that's another big part of the sophistication mm-hmm. of it as well. That, that's a really important point. What, what it's not doing is saying, oh, I need more elements here. Stop, remesh, and go back to the beginning and start again. It's taking the strain field um, uh, you know, prior to the remesh and then applying it to the, the new mesh, converging on that, and then moving forward. Yep. Which is pretty, pretty sophisticated. Um, yeah, I love it. Uh, there's a few other little things, um, that are exciting. Um, we'll, um, kind of, kind of looking at, we've got, uh, on the mechanical side, we've got the ability to put in probes for springs, beams, 
uh, and joints, right? So these are these are simplified elements that are exposed um, in mechanical that are under the hood are these kind of crazy multi-function Swiss Army knife elements uh, in APDL, in mechanical APDL. But uh, and you you had to write scripts to access the results from those. So now you can you can put these probes in and get get how they behave. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, anything anybody else kind of randomly want to talk about? I think I'm good. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, we're just talking about some of the things that are heavy hitters yeah. as far as we see, yeah. but we're certainly mm-hmm. not talking about all of the right. enhancements. So um, the release notes are a good yes. source of additional Always. information. Always, because you may go, ah, oh, I was really hoping for this feature that I've been asking for for a while or I think would be useful, and and we just didn't cover it. So so always check the release notes or contact your support provider um, to find out more about this stuff. And, uh, yeah, so I think we'll just go ahead and finish it here uh, with, with the note that uh, we just – we talked for a long time and we just scratched the surface. So read the release notes. Um, we're heading into the weekend after two extremely – crazy insane weeks so i want to thank you guys and the rest of the support team for for dealing with everything that's going on in the world and keeping our customers productive so um thank you very much for that my pleasure yeah Yeah. next time all right we'll see you guys next time in two weeks thanks bye-bye so we hope you found uh, that uh, useful. There's some good stuff in there. Much of it is under the hood. Most users won't even see it. Um, but it really is more capability, more robustness, and more speed so we can be more productive. So it's time for a commercial. I'll just read this little bit right here. Please consider PADT as your ANSYS supplier if you're in the southwestern U.S. and simulation consulting and customization supplier. We are also just as good at additive manufacturing and product development, so give us a try. We love what we do, and our customers tell us we are good at it. And I'll add that in these times, which are very difficult, uh, you may be facing some challenges you've never expected. Um, They may be hardware, they may be software, they may be logistics. Uh, You may be being asked to be doing simulation you weren't doing before because, you know, who knows? So PDT is here to help. Uh, Just reach out and let's figure it out together. If we don't know how to do it, we may just know somebody that does. So communication is going to be key over the next months. News-wise, um, you know, we always start start with the ANSYS stock, and I I thought about skipping it, <laughs> but to be honest, it's it's not as bad as it could be. Um, it's at two thirteen eleven. Uh, that that's down from a high of twenty nine, or two hundred ninety nine dollars and six cents. Oh, by the way, I'm recording this on Sunday morning, which is the let me look up the date, the twenty second. March 22nd, Sunday morning. So these are the uh, the numbers from uh, Friday, which is going to be, um, can I do that math in my head? It's going to be um, the, the 20th, when the market closed on the 20th of March. So it's at 213, like I said, uh, down from that high of 299 on February 19th. That's a 25% drop. The S&P 500 is down 32% for that same period, February 19th through uh, last Friday. So yeah, ANSYS is doing better. Uh, nobody's doing well, but ANSYS is doing better. Um, if we look at year to date, ANSYS is down 16.7% and the S&P, now remember ANSYS was at an all-time peak right before the market crashed. So uh, it's now down to, it's gone down 16.7 since January 1 and S&P is down uh, 28.5%. So that's a big, big improvement uh, with ANSYS for year to date. 
So um, part of me wants to hide and not come back for another six months and see what happened, but we'll keep an update and comparing it maybe uh, to some of the other um, companies in the sector and see how Ansys is doing. Uh, we've got no new news from Ansys. Uh, nothing. They haven't bought anybody. I think they're hunkered down. And uh, PDT is hunkered down, so I don't have anything new to share as well. Um, my three article picks for the Ansys blog. Um, and you can get to the Ansys blog by just uh, searching on Ansys blog or going to the Ansys website and going to About Ansys and finding the blog there. Um, my first pick was an interesting article that shows how regulations can impact design and that uh, in order to meet those design impacts, you got to use simulation. Um, it's called What is Right to Repair and How Will It Affect Product Design? Um, in the EU, they passed some regulations that basically said people should be able to repair their own uh, appliances using common tools, no special tools required, and that companies have to keep the uh, spare parts around for 10 years. And this means you've got to design things to be repairable by non-experts, um, and, and simulation is a great way to do that. You probably want to make your products more robust as well because it's going to cost you otherwise. So it's kind of cool uh, how, how the, the flow happened. The second pick was the Sherlock team talking about keeping electronics cool. They always have some great insight and uh, it's becoming a more and more of a problem as time goes by. It's called Thermal Management Systems, How Hot is Too Hot. So I found that useful. And then um, kind of on the cool factor side is <clears throat> an article called The Remarkable HMIs of Futuristic Cockpit Designs. Now, I did have to look up what an HMI was. It's the human-machine interface. So these are kind of the what they call glass cockpit or a, a cockpit that's all LCD screens and, and um all sorts of fancy, cool stuff. So if you want to know what airplanes are going to look like in 10 to 15 years or maybe sooner, check out that article uh, on the on the ANSYS blog. We don't have any new articles for the PDT blog, although uh, we do have one that will come out next week, if I can get to that, amongst all the other stuff we're trying to do to keep things running forward. Um, I'll get that hopefully out uh, in the middle of next week. We do have an upcoming webinar to talk about what we talked about in the podcast today. Elements, Context, and Solver Updates in ANSYS 2020-R1. And that's going to be Wednesday, March 25th. As usual, you can go to Bright Talk and search for PADT or ANSYS and find it. Or you can go to our website and go to the events page and uh, register from there. Uh, we don't have any events coming up. In fact, everything's been canceled. Um, so we do have that webinar and, and we're, we're putting together some 3D printing webinars. We tend to do 3D printing events more face-to-face. -face. It's a kind of a technology you got to see, um, but we can't do that. So we're going to be uh, doing a lot more online stuff. So do check that out on our events page. So that's it for today. Um, you will find in your, our survey, um, how annoying is your pet? Uh, is a pet a distraction for you? My dog is scratching at the door, so I'm going to sign off. Um, I want to thank you. Don't forget to subscribe at www.pdtinc.com slash opt-in. Please do take our survey that I mentioned at www.pdtinc.com slash ANSYSWFH. Spread the word about the podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out. And of course, please stay home, stay healthy, and uh, use that social distancing, right? You're a simulation engineer. You're probably not the most outgoing person in the world. Now's your time to shine. So let's try and make the world a better place through simulation um, the, from home for a while. Thanks.
Thank you for joining us for the All Things ANSYS podcast, episode 59. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com slash blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.